You've tuned in to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 Minutes with Joe McKinney. Hello, friends. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Brian Humphrey. And you've tuned in to a special showcase episode of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes With. That's right. 20 Minutes With is a segment in which Dave and I have the great, great honor to share the microphone with some really amazing people. <laughs> and I'm super, super excited about this one because he's me if I had the balls to do what he I does. was going to say, this is this is like <laughs> you from an alternate reality, Brian. Right? This right? Is perfect. Perfect. I think so too. Now, the, the the interesting thing about this gentleman, Bri, our guest host, uh, uh, he didn't, and I repeat, did not always know that he was going to be a published author. Right? This was not in his ballywick. He did always have the overpowering urge to write. Uh, through through his teens and beyond, he knew writing was an essential part of who he was, but he had no desire to publish anything. Now, like most of us, he had many influences, uh, but there are two that really kind of stand out. Uh, uh, In the stories department, it was Stephen King's Night Shift collection that gave him a whole new perspective on what was possible in a horror story, uh, as Stephen King has done for most of us. Uh, uh, And to this day, he acknowledges King as one of the masters of the genre. Uh, the other influence, his his first experience of the zombie genre, was at the age of around 13 or so when he saw Night of the Living Dead. Now, that movie changed him, uh, again, expanding his awareness of what horror was and discovering that horror wasn't about gore or, or shock value aesthetics. It was about people and things that really matter. <laughs> he became a major geek on the subject. To this day, he claims to have read every zombie book out there and owns every zombie movie ever made, even the truly wretched ones, which I'm given to understand comprised the bulk of his collection. Uh, now, it was about this time that he started writing. Uh, and he can recall giving up afternoon bike rides and, and explorations as a kid in favor of writing the stories that poured through his imagination. Uh, he just, he'd write the stories, staple them together, and then forget about them. Uh, but surely, now Brian, you know, those, those, the, the zombie apocalyptic visions, they must have had some impact on our guest host, right? Absolutely. Well, yeah. So later yeah. in, later in life, he becomes the disaster mitigation specialist <laughs> with the city of San Antonio, which means, ladies and gentlemen, when the zombie apocalypse comes, I'm betting San Antonio is going to have a kick-ass disaster response plan. Uh, now, he was also a homicide detective uh, and was eventually promoted to sergeant, where he helped run the San Antonio 9-11 Dispatch Center and then eventually took over there for about nine months. And now <laughs> he's the patrol commander for the west side of San Antonio. Now, all of this is utter badassery, but there's nothing in there about writing or, or publication, right? So what was it? What what was the catalyzing event that focused our guest host's profound impulse to write into a determination to be published? Well, that would be the birth of his first daughter. Uh, That marvelous event triggered an overpowering need to capture who he was on paper so that 
it was somehow preserved and, and held in that moment of time. And then in doing so, our guest host found he could also assert some small measure of control over a world that had suddenly become extremely complex and a whole lot more frightening. And Brian, I'm betting you can understand and empathize with that impulse all too well, right? Oh, hell yes. <laughs> In fact, interestingly enough, it's shortly after your son was born that your novel came out. This guy That's really, right. he is you, isn't he? Holy crap. <laughs> now, his first novel to be published was called Dead. City. Uh, and it was a pretty conventional uh, event in terms of book publishing. He wrote a manuscript, revised it a few times, sent it out to a few publishers, and began his harvest of rejections. Uh, however, some of those rejections were actually offering some genuine encouragement. So he knew he had a good book, and apparently the publishers could see that as well, so it was time to bring in some professional support in the form of an agent. Now, <laughs> half a dozen queries later, he got a nibble, and then that agent turned around and sold the manuscript to one of the publishers that had just rejected him only a few months before. That's, that's poetic irony right there. That's beautiful. <laughs> uh, now, these were happy times. Everyone in our guest host's family celebrated, and, and you can imagine the beaming pride of a mother striding into a bookstore to buy her son's book. Yes, indeed. And then imagine a few days later after that mother has read the book <laughs> and she walks up to her son now sad and a little confused and says you were such a happy child did we do something <laughs> wrong <laughs> Now, his family has had plenty of time to get used to it. Uh, he wrote a dystopian sci-fi novel titled Quarantined that was nominated for a Bram Stoker Award for Superior Achievement in a Novel in 2009. Now, that first novel, Dead City, that was actually the first of four books in the Dead World series. And the third of that, uh, uh, Flesh Eaters, actually won the 2011 Bram Stoker Award for Best Novel. He's also edited two works so far, uh, the zombie-themed anthology Dead Set with Michelle McCrary and the abandoned building-themed anthology The Forsaken with Mark Onspaugh. Now, he also wrote the true crime novel... Notice the genre jumping? I love this guy. Uh, oh. uh, and, and again, Brian, I'm seeing lots of echoes of you. Uh, a true, I know. <laughs> a true crime novel titled Dodging Bullets in 2012 and was invited by Corey Mitchell, the New York Times bestselling author of true crime, to be a regular contributor at In Cold Blog, a true crime blog that enjoyed an astonishingly diverse and discerning readership in its day. Now, his upcoming releases include the horror novels Lost Girl of the Lake, The Red Empire, The Charge, and Saint Rage. His short stories and novellas have been published in more than 30 publications and anthologies. Dear friends, please join me in welcoming to the big chair here at the round table our guest host for this episode, Joe McKinney. Joe Dude, thank you so much. I cannot wait to have 20 minutes of time with you to pick your brain. Thanks for making the time, sir. Yeah, thank you, sir. Man, Abs I'm glad to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. Definitely. Let yeah. me uh, let me just mark our, our timer here, because I'm, I'm not about to waste any of what we've got. We'll, of course, ignore it, but that's what we do around here. <laughs> All right, uh, Joe, um, 
in in researching your background, I came across a very cool quote of yours, uh, uh, basically saying, as long as your monster is a monster of ideas, they never get boring. And and you've you've come out and, and said on several occasions that a lot of the horror that's out there is 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 pretty wretched uh, uh, that doesn't really fulfill as horror possibly can uh, uh, the mandate the 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 call to arms that horror represents. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about what did you mean by a monster of ideas and what is good horror? Oh well. Um... Yeah, we lead off with the easy questions. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, you know, people talk all the time, for instance, about zombies. You know, how long are we going to have zombies around? How, you know, how much more of this crap do we have to deal with before they can go away? And really, I think as long as people continue to write stories that engage the human condition in a meaningful way, we're not going to lose any tropes. Uh, they're not going to drop off. Um, a good example, you know, would be the Victorian ghost story. I mean, the Victorians took the ghost story to uh, a fine art form. Uh, you know, M.R. James, E.F. Benson, um, you know, uh, Charles Dickens. I mean, sure. the, yeah. the, ghost, the ghost story, uh, even Henry James, the, the ghost story was a fine art form at that point. And we have more ghost stories today than ever before. It's, it's not a matter of the trope falling off or, you know, okay, well, we've done everything we can with this, so we're going to put it on the shelf and forget about it. Um, th that just doesn't happen. Um, you know, people are constantly reinventing uh, classic tropes and doing it in, uh, in, in powerful and effective ways. And as, as long as people continue to write stuff that, that grabs readers and, and goes and, you know, makes those readers say, holy crap, the, the, I get it, I get it we're not going to lose anything those are the those are the monsters of ideas those are the ones that uh um that mean something that have that resonate and you know with some of uh well not some of with with unfortunately a great deal of horror you know we have a lot of i think immature efforts at not understanding the background of the genre not understanding its depth or uh its history and um Joe, let me let me inter interrupt you there. Okay. Not, not understanding what about the the, the origin or the heritage, because I I know exactly what you're saying, and I feel that way as a as a as a burgeoning writer myself, and I don't want to make that mistake. So mm -hmm. so when you speak about the heritage, what should what should writers be looking for? Well, um, if you don't know what has been done already, it's really hard to. Uh, to riff on, or it's impossible to riff on anything because you don't know what you're doing. Sure, um, sure. And, uh, you know, if you're just throwing stuff out there, a lot of it is going to be not even an homage, but a, uh, but really kind of a pastiche, you know? Uh, it's not going to have um, originality. It's not going to have context. Um, okay. And a lot of, uh, you know, you develop that by reading the history of the genre. And I don't mean, you know, the, the, the nonfiction history of the drama. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the legacy, the, yeah, the, reading the, your, yeah. you know, your Algernon Blackwood reading, you know, your Robert Chambers, you know, your um, some of the guys who were doing this at, at the turn of the century and even before 
and and going forward from there i mean it, it, there's there's more old stuff than just lovecraft you know and, <laughs> uh, and and so you know you really have to kind of develop that depth of knowledge of the genre in order to play with the the toys in the toy box you know what i mean sure um, otherwise you're just it's like trying to put a lego set together without the instructions you know you just it comes out looking sort of i don't know whatever <laughs> but See, uh yeah we, we used to be able to do that though we didn't need instructions for our legos <laughs> well I don't, I, I don't want to get too off topic but i'm i'm I, i've got two little ones at home and i you know we've started building legos together and man those sets these days are are unbelievably i know oh, yeah. holy crap like, Even the ones that only come with 20 or 30 pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they need inst- – well, we are so yeah. getting off topic. Brian, bring <laughs> us back on topic quick. Holy crap. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, one of, Joe, one of the things that, that you started off with when you were talking about zombies, and this is something that I wanted to ask you very pointedly because I run into this problem, is what advice do you have for writers who feel that the zombie genre should and can be taken seriously but are sidetracked or maybe haunted by the idea that just using the word zombie automatically detracts from the credibility of a story? Hmm. Well, I, I don't really feel scared of that word zombie. I use it in my books. I've used it in a number of stories. Um, you know, I know on The Walking Dead, for instance, they call them walkers and, and all that right. stuff. I, I find a lot of the attempts to use some other word besides zombies to, to really kind of be uh, silly. Um, it draws attention to the fact that they're looking for another not, word besides zombie. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> you know, and we've, we've come to a point where if you're going to set a, a zombie story um, in today's time period, uh, I mean, I think everyone out there now, um, maybe there's one guy in the back who has not seen Night of the Living Dead or, <laughs> or Dawn of the Dead or, you know, any of, any of the better zombie movies that are out there. We all know what a zombie is. We get it. Um, and and to avoid that um, is conspicuous and and right away puts you, I guess, behind the behind the eight ball and trying to win readers over. Um, sure. So as a result, I, that was one thing that I I decided early on that um, my characters were going to have to to know what a zombie is and 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 have that knowledge and you know as part of their uh, cultural upbringing, you know, that sort of thing. So, right. Right. How, how do you feel about working that into a characterization where you have characters that maybe by virtue of them, not wanting to look stupid among their other characters, they don't even want to use the word until somebody just comes along and kind of slaps them in the back of the head and says, it's, it's, it's a fucking zombie, you know? <laughs> um, you know, I, I guess, um, all of the stories that I've done have sort of worked uh, from a, a milieu in which everyone knows what a zombie is, I, um, and, right. and no one's really afraid to use that word because I, I don't I don't run away from it. Um, so do do you approach it then in a in an, uh, a position that the people who are going to look at this and say, oh, it's a zombie book, and automatically kind of lower their their expectation of it, just really aren't your audience in that sense. And you may be able to win them over, but they're not really who you're writing for. Well, you know, uh, I mean, I, I'd love to have as big an audience as possible, you know, as long as they buy sure. <laughs> um, we, can, we can totally relate, Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I don't care 
where I connect with people, whether it's, uh, you know, I, I, I pepper a lot of uh, literary allusions into my, into my books, into my writing in general. Um, I, I actually started out uh, in life thinking that I was going to become an English professor. And, um, uh, you know, being a cop just sounded like a whole lot more fun. And <laughs> <laughs> not, not exactly better hours, but definitely a lot more fun. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But anyway, I mean, I put a lot of literary illusions. If I connect with people on that level, that's great. I also put a lot of, you know, schlock and gore and humor. So if I connect with people there, that's great, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a literary horror in that sense, I guess. Good man. Absolutely. Well, that's time. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Joe McKinney after this brief promotional break. Do you like listening to audio science fiction? Are you a fan of writers reading their work? My name is Mike Luoma. By day, I play tunes on the radio. The rest of the time, I'm creating science fiction and comic books. And I bring my two worlds together each week with my glow-in-the-dark radio podcast, where I read you my stuff. You hear free science fiction audio adaptations every week. And I give away the audio versions after I've podcast them, too. Free science fiction audiobooks on iTunes and at patiobooks.com. I hope you'll check out my Glow in the Dark Radio podcast or any of my free science fiction audiobooks at glowinthedarkradio.com. I'm Mike Luoma. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Joe McKinney. Well, and, and the Dead World series, I mean, that's, that's you know, that that's a zombie world. That's definitely there. But it sounds like with the projects that you have in the works, Joe, that you're branching out, that you're exploring uh, 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 different different vibes, different tones, different nuances of horror. Uh, is that is that the case? Is, is Lost Girl of the Lake or, or The Charge or these uh, a broader scope of horror? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've always wanted to write, you know, other things, um, and, you know, even outside of the horror genre. Um, for instance, I'd, I would love to write, uh, something on the, the history of, of, uh, Chile, but uh, anyway, um, you know, so there's, there's tons that I want to, that I want to write about, but zombies, I, I, when I wrote Dead City, there was, it was really a fortunate accident. Brian Keene had written The Rising, and uh, Skip and Goodfellow had published Mondo Zombie the, the decade before, and there were one or two other zombie books, but really, when Dead City came along, there were very few to choose from out there. And the publisher, you know, they kind of expected the book to do, you know, it make back its advance and then die a quiet death. Um, but it really didn't. It never did. It just kept on selling, which, you know, was good for me, good for them. It turned me into a professional writer. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm grateful for that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so zombies kind of became the, um, that was what the publishers were willing to pay the most money for. So I ended up kind of moving that direction, which, you know, I'm happy with because I, I love zombies. I, I I'm, <laughs> yeah, I, I love their rotten little hearts. But hell yes. <laughs> I I wanted to ask you this. This kind of goes in a, a little bit of a different direction, but um, because you used to be a, a homicide detective and you are very active on the police force, um, some people try to fake their way through police procedurals, and I say some people kind of tongue in cheek because that's what I did, and then they get <laughs> bitch slapped, and often appropriately so for making simple mistakes that make it obvious that they didn't do the amount of research that they maybe should have. Mm -hmm. And 
having been a homicide detective for a while, so you have the inside track when it comes to technical accuracy. Do you ever get turned off by a writer who misfires on details that are that that probably with 10 minutes of research they would have gotten right? And then what are some resources that that you could point writers to who want to get it right but aren't ready to actually join the force? <laughs> Yes, actually, um, you're, you're absolutely right. I do get turned off by seeing it done badly. <laughs> I've got tons of examples of that, but um, uh, and I don't want to call anybody out in particular. <laughs> we know uh, they're out there. We know yeah, they're yeah. out there. But yeah. uh, I will say, I will say one thing um, about uh, uh, Peter Straub's ghost story, uh, the novel, not the movie. I mean, Peter Straub's ghost story is is to me the perfect horror novel and I mean that in the most flattering sense I can I can make it um, but I also mean it in the sense of if you remember that episode of Frasier where Frasier and his brother Niles are talking about the dinner they've just had and they say it was the perfect dinner not because it was perfect but because it had that one little flaw that we can pick at the rest of the night <laughs> and, um, and for me Ghost Story by Peter Straub is that is that book because it has that one little flaw that uh, that I find a lot of horror writers uh, make about cops, um, and part of it is uh, is built into the structure of horror itself uh, to make a a character truly afraid and to make us empathize with the horror and the fear that a person is experiencing. You really have to insulate them from outside help. They have to be removed from any possible resource. They have to be um, basically set adrift and, and, and with no one but themselves to rely on. Uh, that insularity is critical, I think, in, in, in all horror, no matter what kind of horror it is. And um, really, when the police get involved, it becomes a public matter. Um, and if, uh, you know, let's say you've got a barn full of dead people, eventually the police are going to show up right and um and once the police show up your main character your final girl or whoever it is can sort of step back and say okay well the cops can deal with it now i'm on the side <laughs> and and that really takes the horror away the fear and um in uh, in peter straub's ghost story if you remember he has that uh small town uh sheriff and there's another problem. Small, t it should be small town police chief, not sheriff. But, <laughs> uh, but anyway, you get uh, this guy is eventually through the course of the story comes to hey, I, there's a mystery here, and I think it surrounds those four guys, and I need to deal with them. And then um, you know, so he's essentially created the situation where this cop is now on center stage and has to, he has to do something with him to get rid of him. And so he makes him a drunk and, and has him wander off on a bender. And that's the last we see about it. And that's that little mistake that, or that little problem that I love to pick at with that book, um, despite everything else about it being so perfect. <laughs> and, and that's really the problem. People don't know what to do with the police in their horror fiction, even though they know that they have to be involved. Um, I've never shied away from that, obviously, because that's that's where I live. Um, and so advice on what people can do to kind of learn those skills, just about every police department of any size out there offers ride alongs. Um, mm -hmm. and you can, you can sign up for a ride along, go out on patrol one night with a cop. Um, you know, they're naturally going to be resistant at first to, you know, to giving up any information to you, but 
because um, police naturally distrust pretty much everybody. Uh, <laughs> That's not and, another cop. Got it. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, but I mean, after a little bit of, you know, after they, they begin to realize you're not going to paint them all as baby killers or whatever, um, you know, they'll open up and start to tell uh, a little bit about how things really work. And that's critical, I think, for, you know, the kind of research that, that you're talking about. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Do you, do you ever have people pick apart your novels and say, hey, that's wrong, when it may <laughs> just be sort of a regional thing? Yes, that's, that does happen. But the funniest thing that I ever, um, that I ever had was uh, someone wrote me a very angry letter uh, telling me that the I, you know, I clearly didn't do my homework on police procedure, that, uh, <laughs> that, you know, that, that uh, Texas police officers don't do this, that that's not, you know, and, um, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We, we, we've, we've had, we had Mike Cole on the show and he's, he's done three tours in Iraq and he's had people call him out on the military protocol that he brings up in his books. So yes. yeah, yeah, that's yep. going to happen. That's going to happen. <laughs> Joe, I, I, I gotta ask you, um, in the context of, of the canon of work that you're evolving, uh, uh, I'm, I'm curious, what do you see as your, your superpower, your gift? What, what is the strength that you bring to the table that you're using to, to expand uh, uh, the quality and, and, the, and the gold of the genre? And, and what do you do to enhance that or, or refine that or continue working that uh, as you move forward? Wow. Um... Okay, pat myself on the back, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, um, well, I, I do think that um, that I do characters uh, well, and um, and I, I love the uh, sort of the Texas characterization that, that I've that I've developed. Most of my stories take place in Texas, um, and I really feel like I've developed that that regional feel that is the Texas Hill Country. Um, I, you know, I've kind of made um, San Antonio a, a spot where horror can happen, um, <laughs> and uh, which you know I really like. Uh, and uh, so, you know, uh, moving forward, I see myself continuing to develop characters um, and and to make that. That's always been my strong point. So I, I, I'd like to to think that I can I can expand that that skill set. Sure. Now, and this might be a tough question to answer, but how did you come by those those character skills? Uh, uh, what was it? Was it your your career background? Your 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 experience I with the police? So. Yeah, I think so. I think being being a cop had a lot to do with that. Um, what about the rest of us that that that, <laughs> that don't have that as an option? Well, uh, you know, I think anybody who is interested in and in people watching is, is going to develop a certain measure of of empathy and um you know and and consequently some some character building strength um mine was sort of forced on me because you know you you uh you know as a 25 year old policeman you know you're dropped into a into a family disturbance you know with people who are 55 60 and they still haven't gotten their life together and they're looking at you for all the answers and you're like i'm 25 <laughs> years old i'm a kid i don't know what the hell i'm doing <laughs> and um you know and you kind of have to learn to be a, a little you know a jack of all trades and you know a little bit of a little bit of something for everyone and um and to me that's where i developed that sense of of empathy and and um 
and understanding on what makes people tick. And uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. I, there's, there's, I think there's all sorts of ways to do that. I mean, I imagine a waiter could do the same thing or a, um, you know, or, or a hotel bag boy or, or, you know, it doesn't, sure. it doesn't really matter as long as you're dealing with people, as long as you're, you know, you're putting yourself in that situation where you're, um, you, you know, you're trying to understand what makes people tick. I, you know, I, I think that's where it, where it's at. That's good advice. That's Absolutely, excellent advice. Yeah. Brian, I know we're running out of time, but I figured you got to have one more question for your, your clone from the alternate universe here. Oh, good Lord. Uh, okay. So, well, and, and this is something that you kind of touched on uh, when you said, you know, that in order to really create horror that people can empathize with the character, you have to insulate the character from the possibility of outside help. And so the the question that I was going toward was how do you build suspense in a scene? And I think that that's that's probably a very key element, but do you have any other tricks up your sleeve? I do. Um, and the biggest one I think is setting developing a, a, a setting that changes, I think is critical, uh, for creating insularity, uh, character and setting really are linked together on sort of a, an atomic level. They can't be pulled apart. Um, when I said a setting needs to change, you know, you need to develop a sense, first of all, that, uh, you know, okay, this little small town that I've wandered into, you know, is, is nostalgic, it's nice, it's friendly, it has this good vibe to it, and suddenly things become not so so nice. So, you know, you, uh, you have to show the world as normal before you can really screw it up. Um, and, and so that's... That for me, setting and character, and showing how setting ch- or the character's perception of setting changes is really sure. key. You know, I can, there can be all sorts of examples of this. Um, I I loved the Amityville Horror, for instance. the the um, The book was kind of lame, but the the um, <laughs> the, the original the movie was awesome. Yeah, well, the, movie, <laughs> yeah, the original movie was was pretty cool. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I love how there's that, uh, that initial, oh, this home is perfect. Oh, I love it. I love it. And we see that, uh, that facade of the house, you know, where the, the chimney goes up and the two eye-looking windows. Yes. Are- mm-hmm. And, you know, at the beginning of the movie, you see that and you're thinking, oh, what a great suburban home. I mean, this is just fantastic. And then by the end of the movie, you're like... Wow, I'll never look at that facade again. Anytime I see something like that on my house in my neighborhood, I just want to run the other way. Um, totally. Yeah, so really I think creating a setting that appears normal first and then and then changes, or at least the character's perception of that setting changes. Um, you know, we get a, a good example of that in Jaws, for instance. Remember the scene where they're riding out in the boat and they're trading, uh, they're all getting drunk and they're trading stories about, you know, uh, shipwrecks and, and, and so sea Where stories. you got this scar and where you got that scar. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly it. You know, and, and the sea seems like, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's very, you know, it, it's very a buddy building experience. You know, it's, it's a good thing. And then the next day, as we begin to fight the shark, um, and the shark eats the boat out from under us, suddenly, oh my God, you know, the, the, the sea is this hostile, amazingly frightening, gigantic thing that I'm just a little insulated island, you know, floating on. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's an example of how the character, because the sea hasn't changed. 
It's the character's perception of the sea. Sure. Yeah. And that goes towards creating that insularity. And their perception of safety. Exactly. With, within that setting. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Again, if the, if the Coast Guard had showed up and said, hey, we got it. Right. Yeah. All the dramatic tension. You guys need any help? (laughs) Can we can we bring this harpoon gun to help and bear with this? Yeah. No. 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 Uh, Joe, I'm 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 sitting here. I'm looking. In fact, that shark just came along and ate our 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 clock. So I can only assume that means the the time time has indeed run out. Uh, uh, thank you so much. We appreciate this. This has been exceptional, uh, and we appreciate you sharing some thoughts with us, man. Cool. Thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Most definitely. Yeah. Ryan, what what are you taking from this conversation with your alternate universe clone? That Joe and I were separated at birth. <laughs> Indeed. Al- although I think he's a little older than me. So Where, I don't know but how from that the grace of our, God, go in our you. Time space continuum. But no. Um. Uh, uh, two things. One, and this is this is a hard lesson for me to learn because you know I'm I'm very sensitive to what other people think, and so don't euphemize zombies. Yeah. You can youth, you can euthanize, euthanize them, but them. don't euphemize them. <laughs> but seriously, yeah, so don't, folks. don't use other words for zombies. Excellent. Um, and then, I mean, you know, I look at uh, look at The Walking Dead. Clearly, <laughs> that's about as successful as you can get. Roger. Sure. And yeah. they use the term walkers. So, um, but now yeah. I can't use that term. Right. But uh, <laughs> there's all sorts of there's all sorts of silly terms that I've heard for for zombies in books and and movies. So. Um, I, I stick with zombies. I embrace it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's the brave way to go. And that's, you know, and then your readers know what, what they're in for. So yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I totally agree with that. And then the other one was, it really hit me the insulate your character from the possibility of outside. Yes. Um, because that's, that's one thing that, that I've been really searching for a rule like that, that will, you know, that that fits really nicely into what I'm doing. Well, so. and as a horror writer, Brian, that applies very nicely. Yes, and absolutely. I, and I think you know, remember from what I remember of of sense memory, you actually do a marvelous job of that at the end. Uh, well, thank uh, so and and that isolation is chilling, horrifying. So yeah, nicely done. For for me, I actually have two things as well. Um, and and while everything that was said was intriguing, uh, uh, the fact that talking about that something is perfect because it has an imperfection. In it, yes. that yes. really stuck in my mind, and totally. and I'm I'm gonna be chewing on that for a while. But I think that's important. I think that's that's relevant. That we we all try and make the career the, the perfect book, but even the most perfect book is gonna have some little tattered thread that people can pull on. Oh yeah, so that's cool. That that's awesome. And and the other thing is actually something you said, Brian. That that, that authors are haunted by the word zombie. <laughs> I love oh. that. So. <laughs> did, did did you catch my misfire one too? No, to I missed that one. Re-listen. See, yeah, I'm gonna have to play it back. Thing. Everybody, fans, roll it back right now. We have to find that one. So <laughs> that was that was just for you, Dave. <laughs> you are so awesome. Uh well, and and speaking of awesome, dear friends, you are awesome for hitting that play button uh, and joining us for this awesome 20 minutes with with Joe McKinney. Uh, we we so appreciate you joining us. You complete the cycle. Otherwise, we're just shouting into the dark. Uh, <laughs> Uh, right, and that's never any fun. So thank you so much, um, thank you guys. Yeah, well, and and yeah. and now, friends, 
we, we've had this great conversation with Joe, and, and clearly Joe's got some, some storytelling mojo to bring to the table. Now, in a couple of days, we're going to bring Joe back, and we're going to workshop a very cool story. Uh, uh, and you're going to have to make your way back in a couple of days and catch that. Now, in between those days, I have some suggestions of what you might be doing. For example, you might put a review out on iTunes for us, which is always so very appreciated. You could blog about the round table, which would be absolutely badass. We love it when you do that, and so many of you have. Uh, you can throw a comment up on the post at the website, uh, uh, www.roundtablepodcast.com. You can friend us out on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Follow us on Twitter at Writers Podcast, uh, or send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Uh, so that, those are my suggestions. Brian, what do you think they should be doing over the next couple of days? Go right and write with using the word zombie and not a euphemism. That's right. Not walker, not, not shambler, not, not, not right. with, with, with respect and, and deference to, to Merle Lafferty and the shambling guide to New York city that she's working with a whole different slew of monsters. So yes, that, that's we're right. All, we're all that's good. Right. All right, friends. So go we, right. Yeah, go right. Absolutely. And, and I will tell you, you find what you're looking for. So look for the good stuff and you will find it. We will be back in just a couple of days. So until then, you guys stay cool, be frosty, be awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means do not sell it, but you can share it all you want. And you can even use pieces of it in your own production, as long as you release that production under the same licensing terms and attribute us as the source. Theme music provided by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you want to be a guest writer or guest host, or just learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also out on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.